The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 3, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and here with me to give you the truth of which you can't handle is my co-host, Kyle Posey. Kyle, a lot to get to today, but first, how you doing, brother? Doing great, man. Week 2, not so great for us, for the teams we root for, but we're going to get through this bad boy. Yeah, and we got the film on time from Game Pass this week. So no restrictions there, man. We are we are totally unleashed. We've been watching the film all last night, all today. And as we do every week, we are going to start with me babbling on uh, about airing it out. So each week, we break down the top three quarterback performances of the week. So let's bypass the fluff and get involved with some quarterback takes. Number one QB performance of the week, Russell Wilson. From the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I really, by the way, I wanted to include Cam Newton in this top three because the duel between him and Russ was just, it was delightful, man. What a fun football game. It comes down to the final seconds, but ultimately, Russell Wilson's five touchdown passes were too much to overcome. Four of them, by the way, came under pressure. So bonus points there for thriving in the chaos, which he sometimes creates on his own. But he is my number one quarterback of the week. He is on pace for over 72 touchdowns this year. That's how bonkers he's been for Seattle. The guy is literally the 12th man in the absence of a crowd. He is completing 82.3% of his passes this year so far, leads the league. 9.8 yards per attempt, which is tied with Lamar Jackson for first. Pretty good quarterback. It's his second time on this list in two weeks, and I will put him here all 16 weeks if I have to. I do not care. The touchdown to DK Metcalf, working against Stephon Gilmore, was a thing of beauty. Top that, the 38-yarder to DJ Moore. And the most impressive one to me was the loft to Chris Carson on the wheel route. And look, Carson burns Adrian Phillips on this. And I think Phillips was going to come on a blitz if Carson stayed in. So that kind of played a role into Carson unleashing like that. But the way that Russ gets to this throw is incredible. So he's got his tight end open. He's he's working the middle of the field. He's looking at the middle of the field. He spots the Mike linebacker, Jawan Bentley, I think it is. And usually on a wheel route, you get that linebacker coming out and he has to make a choice whether to scrape under or scrape over. Well, he's sitting in the middle of the field. So Russ is like, okay, I want to pass up this easy short throw. He turns to Carson's side. Immediately, he has Chase Winovich in his face. And while backing off the throw, he puts this rainbow up. Perfect throw for six. 
that one had me like muttering under my breath because it's like almost annoying how consistently he can make these silly throws. It is a rare skill for a quarterback to make easy things hard and still produce like he does. But Kyle, I'm sure you watched that game live. I think everyone did. We knew it would be a good one and it did not disappoint. Russell Wilson has thrown the ball 62 times this season. He has 12 incompletions and nine touchdowns. <laughs> and it's not like he's checked down Charlie either. They are opening it up. Like teams like the Patriots, they went cover zero quite a bit. And there aren't these check down routes, as I mentioned. There's not these hot routes out of the backfield. He's airing it out. So he's going down the field and they're getting one-on-ones. Even if his receiver isn't open, Russell's going to throw them open. That one catch to David Moore, that was a great catch, by the way. But he's getting so much loft on these passes, allowing the receivers to adjust. And man, like, is there an aesthetically, aesthetically speaking, is there a better looking thrower than Wilson? Because man, these are beautiful. With the deep ball, I, I don't think there is. Like he puts, it's like a pillow falling from heaven for these wide receivers. So let's, all right. So we, we talked about Russell Wilson a lot on this show, but he deserves, again, all of the credit. My number two quarterback performance of the week, man, Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen. So yeah, like this was against. The 29th ranked DVOA pass defense Miami Dolphins from last year. But this Dolphins team, I think, is a far, a far cry from the early 2019 Dolphins that, that just rolled over for teams. But 417 yards, 68.6 completion percentage, four touchdowns, 11.9 yards per attempt, which was tops in the league for a week two by over a yard and a half. And just some gutsy throws down the stretch. You look at Deshaun Watson without DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray with DeAndre Hopkins. Kirk Cousins, who we'll talk about, without Stephon Diggs, and Josh Allen with Stephon Diggs. How important are those two wide receivers proving to be for those four quarterbacks? And the thing about this game for Allen, he wasn't like particularly accurate overall. And don't get me wrong, he was fine. But here's why you can get away with that to where it doesn't matter. On throws of over 20 yards, where he was worst in the league in 2019 in accuracy, he went four for five, 140 yards, one touchdown, and a perfect passer rating. So you can live with not being pinpoint on every throw if you hit the big ones. And that was a big bugaboo for him last year. It was bound for some positive regression to the mean, but his deep ball this year so far is well above expectation. I mean, the guy's second in the league in deep yard passing, and he's bracketed by Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson in that regard. So that's some darn fine company. And one more stat before we get to a, a couple of breakdowns here. All four of his touchdowns, just like Russell Wilson, came against pressure. Just stupid how good he was when the heat was on in this game. And, and there was a three-throw sequence in this game that I really felt kind of like embodies the Josh Allen experience. And they come from the same late fourth quarter drive with the Bills trying to put it away. Second and seven, rolling to his right. The deep over to Stephon Diggs, who is blanketed by the rookie Noah Igbenogany, who starts to like undercut Diggs. Allen lets this thing go and he does like this little hop and flail with his arms. I don't know if it was because he thought he had it or if he had like an instant case of buyer's remorse because when I saw it live and even when I saw it from the end zone angle on the film all 20 times that I rewound it, I thought that this was a pick like all day. But it somehow drops in great placement. Diggs does a great job. Tap and toes. Unbelievable throw. So there's like your Josh Allen heat check. And you know he's about to go a little bit bonkers the next couple of plays. Two plays later, nearly throws an interception with him and John Brown then on the same page. Brown flattened. Allen through the post. Nearly picked off. And I thought it would have been a bad throw regardless. So you've got great. You've got the bad. And the thing with Josh Allen is the guy doesn't have a conscience. He does not care. Very next play, the Bills run the very same switch vertical release. 
the same route with Brown. This time, Brown doesn't flatten it. He takes it deep. Allen's actually a little late to the throw. He's got a guy bearing down on him. And with very little windup, he just flicks this thing 55 yards in the air and boom, ball game. This guy is electric, loads of fun. I can't wait to see him play a real defense. Important note that Byron Jones only played four snaps for Miami, so you take in that context too. We remember the fits that New England and Baltimore gave him last year. I got to know if this is like the new normal for Allen. And it at least gets tougher with the Rams next week, so that's going to be some must-see TV. But for now, he did what he was supposed to do, and I can't hate him for it. Kyle, do you think that this is for real this year with Allen, or is this a mirage like constructed out of cupcake defenses? (laughs) That's a hard question to answer just because we don't know. We have to give him credit because he's playing so well right now. And it looks to me like... The game is slowing down a little bit, but as you mentioned, he's still making some of those boneheaded mistakes where he'll throw it, and as you said, he jumped up and down. It's like, no, 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 yes, 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 I did it. <laughs> I think on that play, I wrote down that play too that you were talking about where where the receiver comes too flat, and on the replay, you can see Allen motioning like, go this way, go this way, and I love mm-hmm. seeing that because they came right back to the same play. The safety on that play is in no man's land. I don't know <laughs> what he's doing. I don't know if he – he jumped an out route to the far side of the field on one – on the, the touchdown play on yeah. the play before that he comes down and tries to rob a route and over route that he has no shot of making. So I wonder if the offensive coordinator is like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to run that bad boy back. But you, you do got to get some credit to Brian Dayball. He's, he's calling great games and he's putting Allen in positions to make these plays. I do want to also give credit, as you mentioned, Stefan Diggs. like he's so good. He's making plays. He's helping. He's bailing Allen out on some of these throws as well. And it, you can just tell the difference of, in confidence with Allen when you have a, a top wide receiver. So I do believe that makes some of the difference, but we're going to find out real quick how good Allen is because eventually they're going to run into a team where you're going to have to put points on the board. So will he be able to do that against the Rams? That will be something to keep an eye on. Last year I was watching like Buffalo's Twitter. I follow a lot of those media guys and whatnot. We, we banter back and forth, but like during halftime, it was always the blame game. And oh, so many people in the fan base wanted to blame Brian Dable. And I'm like, no, it's Allen. And it was Allen. It wasn't, da- it wasn't Dable. But this year, I mean, they're both clicking. So they're going to be fun to watch throughout the season. Can't wait to see them moving forward. Let's get to my number three quarterback performance of the week as a Bleeding Green Nation contributor. This pains me, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Puts up 450, one tutty through the air, two on the ground, and he makes a magical comeback, so I can't help but but put him here. And look, it was, and we were talking about this before the show, Kyle, it wasn't all good from Prescott, and he wasn't the whole reason that the Cowboys fell behind, even with the bad fumble early when it was a tie game, but he has these weird games I remember the Miami game being like this last year where he sputters out of the gate, but then he blacks out and just goes cuckoo bonkers to close it out. And this was one of those. They entered half down to 29 to 10. If the halves were reversed, I'd probably be putting Matt Ryan here, honestly, because he had a great game. But Dak found a way to get it together and rally. And the play that really kicked it off for me, the 58-yard bomb to Amari Cooper. Dak steps into this doggone thing and takes a kill shot from Stephen Means. Amari Cooper makes a ridiculous one-handed catch, just the the difficulty level crazy on that. Three plays later, Deion Jones takes Dak's head off, has to come out of the game to finish the drive. And, and, And there's one thing I've always said about Dak, and he showed it here again. The dude is tough. The dude is fearless. Later in the game, a pinpoint touchdown to Dalton Schultz. We all saw the butt catch by Gallup. I I don't take much away from him due to the onside kick, which was just stupid. We talked about it on Monday Football Monday, but he put them in a position to stay in that game. So he's my number three. And Kyle, can you imagine 
not giving this guy a contract before Mahomes, Wentz, Goff, and the Watson deals came through because his price tag is just going up by the minute. Oh, yeah, for sure. Imagine if Dallas goes on a run now. You can see that they have the weapons, so he's not going to slow down anytime soon. Yes, it helps playing a defense like the Falcons, but they have so many weapons that it's not going to be a surprise if you see Dallas score 30 points a a few games here coming up. So the quarterbacks, they're a rare breed. So when you have one, you pay them. And Dak gives Dallas the best chance to win. They're probably going to be a playoff contender. They're probably going to make a run here. So I, I mean, I'm not sure what Jerry was thinking again. He just he made a mistake. Let's just say that. Yeah, and you look at the quarterbacks that have been paid around the league as well. Like they, they were trying to pay Nick Foles in 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 Jacksonville. Like, come on, man, Dak deserves a contract. It's it's crazy. I, I'm really interested to see how that unfolds in the offseason and what kind of deal he gets, and if it's with the Cowboys because he may just say screw you. That would be hilarious. But anyway, you know, I I spent some time on uh, on this on Monday Football Monday because we're going to talk about some duds now, right? This is the Palpably Unfair podcast. Not everything is going to be positive. So we're going to go from great quarterback performances to duds. Kirk Cousins, come on down. You are the next contestant on Do You Have a Quarterback? Because holy moly, sweet Christmas, how do you complete 11 of 26 passes in the National Football League? And this is just typical Kirk Cousins, right? Who had a very good outing in a shootout with Aaron Rodgers in week one, came up against a buzzsaw, not his fault. Then he comes out and lays a stinker against the Colts. Passer rating of 15.9. And I know passer rating isn't a great stat, but when it's 15.9, something tells me he had a bad day at the office. It's literally the lowest passer rating of any game in his entire career by almost double. Three interceptions and 26 passes. The pick deep going for Thielen who was double covered at the end of the half, was where I gave up. Just a terrible throw. Without a doubt, the worst game of his career. He also took a big sack for a safety while double clutching. And keep in mind, he did it while having the sixth biggest contract in the NFL. So average it out. The Vikings paid $2 million for that travesty of a game from Kirk Cousins. Now, (laughs) watch what happens. They got the Titans next. And Ryan Tannehill and Cousins will basically play the same game, right? They'll, they'll, They'll both play well. And we were like, Cousins is back and so on and so forth because football is chaos. Nobody knows. All I know is that was painful. So Cousins, when he was not blitzed, had 23 attempts, completed 10 passes, and his passer rating was 18 when he wasn't blitzed. <laughs> so when you're just dropping back three, five steps, scanning the field, he's that off. Like his everything is off with him. What are we doing here? It seems like he's the same person that he's been forever. Yes, he has these spot spot games where he, you know, he, he goes out of his mind and has a really good throw here or there. But I feel like Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins, man. I mean, he's not going to get the Vikings anywhere. I just can't have confidence in a player that does that crumbles under pressure. And as I mentioned, those stats I just read, he's not even good when there isn't pressure. So what what do we have to talk about here? And last year when they when they came up to play the Eagles, me and uh, Brandon Lee Gowton from from the Tuesday and Thursday show here on the SB Nation NFL show. We called it the Kirk Cousins litmus test. If your defense is legit, Cousins will have a bad game against you. If it's not legit, which the Eagles was not, he torched them. So there's your Kirk Cousins litmus test. Uh, I got one more dud. This is an honorary one, and it's not even a a quarterback, even though Carson Wentz would certainly qualify. Kyle made sure that I was going to mention (laughs) him on this show in this topic. Uh, But it is quarterback-related in a way. Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn said yesterday, we're recording on Tuesday, that Tyrod Taylor is still his starter, saying that there was a lot that they couldn't get done with Justin Herbert on the field. I mean, buddy, you took the reigning Super Bowl champs to the limit, and Herbert threw it around the yard for 300 plus. 
And like I get that yards aren't everything and he wasn't perfect by any means, but you picked him at six overall for a reason. And the moment wasn't too big for him in that situation, finding out that he was the starter 10 minutes before the game. So you might want to reconsider. You might have something there. That decision is just baffling to me. I thought there was no shot that they would go back to Tyrod after that. But a lot of these guys, these coaches, they're so scared. They just coach scared. So Lynn is going back to the devil that he thinks he knows, and we'll see how that works out. But I just I just don't get that decision, Kyle. I saw a stat on Twitter earlier. Tyrod Taylor has thrown for over 300 yards once in his career, and <laughs> Herbert did it on his, in his first start. And yeah. I thought the biggest difference was Herbert was just letting it fly. Like he was pulling the trigger. He was making throws that Tyrod has never attempted in his life, would never attempt. And I don't think Tyrod has the same type of mobility that Lynn still thinks he has. And you saw Herbert on near the goal line. He's he's an aggressive player. And I think that's what you need, especially against a team like the Chiefs. And if there was a reason that the Chargers lost the game, it's because the fourth and one call. It's not because of Herbert. Yes, he's inaccurate and he's going to miss some throws. He also is a quarterback that had no idea he was starting. So, like, what are yeah. we doing here? How are we going to blame a rookie and put it on him? Lynn... <laughs> Lynn has to go. Let's just say that. And like I said, just coaching scared, man. You go with the with the trusty veteran that, that can't really do anything for you offensively, and you're going to find yourself in a bunch of rock fights, and you're going to lose some games that you shouldn't lose. Let the rookie go out there, make some mistakes, and learn on the fly, and figure out what you have, and then move on in year two, and hopefully you can make a run. That's, that's the way I think about it anyway. All right. So we covered the quarterbacks for this week. My MVPs. We got three more MVPs coming your way on the defensive side of the ball courtesy of our defensive specialist, Kyle Posey. We're also going to get into some matchups that we watched on film and that we enjoyed watching on film and break those down for you. That's coming up next here on the Palpably Unfair podcast on the SB Nation NFL show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 3, SB Nation NFL Show, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. Kyle, it is your time to shine. Let's focus on your three defensive MVPs. Now, normally, normally we, we do, well, I say normally, we've done like one of these. <laughs> normally we do first level the defensive, defensive line, and then linebacker, and then defensive back. We're switching it up a little bit for the show, just a slight tweak. But let's start with the defensive line. Let's talk with a guy that I actually mentioned out of out of surprise after the week one games for balling out. We're talking about a Pittsburgh Steelers defensive lineman, and I guess you can't bet who it is. Kyle, who is it? We've talked about the Steelers' defensive line in each episode so yeah. far, <laughs> and they have not disappointed, and it doesn't seem like they're going to disappoint anytime soon. So I'm going to go with the best player from the 2010 NFL draft, not Ndamukong Sue, not Trent Williams, not Earl Thomas, not Gerald McCoy, Tyson Alou Alou. My goodness, what a game from him. <laughs> As I mentioned, we've talked about him. We've talked about the Steelers defensive line and they're stacked up front. They have TJ Watt, they have Bud Dupree, they have Cam Hayward. And when you have all those stars around you, you are going to get one-on-one -on -one opportunities. You have to still take advantage of those one-on-one -on -one opportunities. And Alou did just that. He's not a bad athlete at all for a guy over 300 pounds. He moves well. He has some suddenness. He was living in the Broncos backfield. 
he had a nice play where he read a screen for a tackle for loss. I like judging guys based off wins. And Alu had six wins, what I saw. He had two tackles for loss. He had a sack. He, had a, he also broke a pass up, so he got his hands up when he's not getting in the backfield. Another QB hit. He was just all over the place, man. He looks really good, used his hands, and he's had two good games in a row. And, I mean, if he's going to play at this level, the Steelers are going to be very, very tough to beat. They lose Javon Hargrave, and then Tyson Alualu steps up, and you're like, is this guy the best defensive lineman in the freaking league? Because he's, cer- he's certainly playing like a dude. Like, he's balling out. And to get noticed on a line like that, you have to play special because everyone's focusing on the superstars. So Alualu is balling out. Let's get to your second level. Well, that's not the second level. That's right. We're doing things a little bit different. Kyle wanted to call an audible because linebackers don't matter unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles where they're so bad that they actually do matter, which, by the way, we are going to talk about that, but let's talk about a, a mismatch. And really, this happened on both sides of the ball in the trenches in this game. But you wanted to focus on the Indianapolis Colts offensive line bullying the Minnesota Vikings defensive line. Yeah, I'm in the train of thought where linebackers don't matter unless they are very, very good or very, very bad. Right. I didn't want to double down on Levante David because he was one of the guys that did stood out, stand out. I thought Miles Jack had a good game as well. But I'm going to go with the Vikings defensive line who got steamrolled by the Colts. So on the season, the Vikings defensive line is 27th in adjusted line yards at 5.13 yards per carry. That means before the running back is even touched, on average, they are allowed five yards a carry. That is just unreal. And then in the Colts matchup, so the Colts had 13 carries for 66 yards and seven first downs. That's just running up the middle. There was nothing that the Vikings could do to slow them down. They were just getting pushed around like it was nothing. And it was more of death by a thousand cuts because only one of those rushes went for over 10 yards. That, man, I I know Zimmer is just pulling his hair out on the sideline because the Colts, they weren't doing anything out of the ordinary. It was just simple zone runs, simple power runs. And the Colts offensive line easily made it to the second level. There was a couple of plays where Eric Kendricks was kind of guessing wrong. But really, it was just Jonathan Taylor doing whatever he wanted to. He's such a great fit for that offense. And I mean, the Vikings just they really had trouble on both sides of the ball. They got to fix it. They got to get something fixed over there because they are in trouble and there it is not looking good for them. Philip Rivers only pressured at 25.9% of the time. That was the 26th, 26th. How can you only pressure Philip? Old man Rivers can't even move anymore, really. Pressure him. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. He invites that crap. So, yeah, you got to do better than that. Minnesota Vikings along the along both lines. Because, Like I said, I, we were talking before the show. I mean, that was it was a big L for them on both sides of the ball. So that's something they definitely got to get cleaned up. Let's go. We're going to skip linebackers. Like we said, we're going to go to the uh, third level. We're going to talk about some Bucks defensive backs against the Carolina Panthers uh, wide receivers, tight ends, their playmakers there. And they got some guys there. And I mentioned to you before the show, a guy that I was really impressed by in, in, in my viewing of uh, Bucks and Saints was uh, the young guy, Sean Murphy Bunting. Uh, they got a, a lot of young pieces in that secondary. And the feeling was coming into the season that they could build off the performance of last year, carry it into this year with the young guys and start to ball out. And it looks like they're they're doing that a little bit. So far, so good. So they're young, they're long, they're fast, and most best of all, they are aggressive. So they're making plays. And one of the biggest things I've been impressed with Tampa Bay early on is their tackling as a secondary. They're flying upfield, and Murphy Bunting made a couple nice plays, as did Carlton Davis around the line of scrimmage. But I really want to focus on Antoine Winfield. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite players. He had a great sack for, and he created a fumble. So when you get there, he's going for the ball. He's looking to make plays. And, and that was kind of his MO coming out of college. Like Everybody knew he was a playmaker, and he's doing that again as he, in the 
as he's in the NFL. So, and he also had three stops around the line of scrimmage, but that goes for all the, the rest of the secondary. Jordan White had four stops. Um, Carlton Davis had a couple stops as well as Murphy Bunting. So it's just really nice to see these guys make plays, be aggressive. And best of all, they're not giving up these big chunk plays. They had a couple near the near the end of the game, but I, I really think Tampa Bay secondary is a really bright spot for this team. Yeah, young and promising there along that. So, so that's three defensive MVPs from from different levels there, as we do every week. Let's talk about some individual matchups that uh, that I saw that you saw throughout the throughout the film viewing process, and we'll kind of go. We'll bounce around a little bit. I actually want to steal your your idea a little bit and, and go to three different levels. So my first one, there were some really good tackles that impressed me in my run-throughs. Uh, for instance, second-year man Jawan Taylor of the Jaguars had some really good reps, especially in the run game. The rookie for the Jets, Makai Becton, oh 11th overall selection. I know you saw it being a Niners guy. He had some flash plays and really held up well in a tough matchup with the 49ers defensive line that unfortunately for them, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, did the 49ers unit go from elite to a mid-tier group within a day because of those injuries? No doubt about it. You, yeah. They lost their best player on the team. And then D Ford's now probably, he's out indefinitely. So, yeah. I mean, what do you do with that? What what team would be able to recover from losing Nick Bosa and D Ford? And, that's, and their team is built off getting pressure up front from only four rushers. So, yeah, it's going to be tough to recover from that. So, moving on from that, the, the guy I wanted to mention, the tackle I want to mention, and we're having a lot of Bucks talk today, but Tristan Wirfs, right? Buccaneers, 13th overall selection in the 2020 NFL Draft. And a big worry for this Bucks line was, can you protect old man Tom Brady? And the first week against the Saints, I thought they did an okay job against a tough line. In the second week, I mean, they did stellar. In this game against the Panthers, Brady was only pressured on 14.3% of his dropbacks. Best of the week, two slate per PFF. And I, I just ran through all of Worf's reps and came away really impressed. He handled power well. Uh, when he came up against Brian Burns, he handled the speed well. There was one play where he gave up a pressure on a stunt. Got shocked back a little bit with the power. But even on that one, you can see the flexibility that he had throughout his frame to absorb some of that. And it showed up in other reps as well where he was able to re-anchor, slow guys down, did a great job running guys past the peak of the pocket too. I mean, this guy is an athletic unicorn. He tested like it at the combine. And while he's not like flashy dominating like a guy like Becton who was going to put up a lot of pancakes, a lot of highlight real stuff, Worfs was moving people in the ground game too. Really effective outing for him. A great sign for that offensive line as they try to keep Brady upright and alive. Uh, he's already the best tackle on that line. The concern for me is Donovan Smith on the left. But circle the calendar for the rematch with Cam Jordan of the Saints. That's in week nine. That'll be a fun one. We'll see him in week four. A big test for him against the Chargers and their pass rushers of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. And I'm actually I'm, I'm going to throw a sarcastic kind of question back at you, Kyle. So you asked me in our, in our first show, is TJ Watt legit if you take him out of the Steelers line? And then you watched week one, you were like, okay, maybe it was a little stupid to ask that question because he looks pretty legit. Is there a guy that you would ask that question between Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa? Or are they both just like ballers? Yeah, I think they're both ballers. Joey's probably better. I mean, I yeah. think everybody would agree that Joey's better, but Melvin isn't far off. And you saw just on Sunday, like he can get after it. He can push the pocket. I don't know. Does he look heavier to you? 
he looks I think like, he does. Yeah, he looks like he added a little bit of a couple pounds, but he's still plenty athletic. And those two, man, they're just they come after you relentless, nonstop. So yeah, I think that they're just a great duo. All right, so I'm gonna steal your bit here because you ignored linebackers, and we said linebackers don't matter until they matter, and they definitely mattered in this one. Let's go to the second level for a matchup to highlight. I don't think I've ever seen a linebacker, and this is even, we talked about, but the rookie Isaiah Simmons against the 49ers, how he struggled, right? First game of the league, and you got to go against Kyle Shanahan. I still have never seen a linebacker more confused and in a blender than Nate Gary of the Eagles trying to process what Sean McVay was doing to him. He's literally the Mr. Krabs meme. And the poor guy, I mean, the staff hypes him up as a super smart leader on defense, and you know the normal cliches, right? He aligns right. He assigns right. Blah, 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 blah. We get tired of hearing it. From from snap one, you can tell that the hamsters are running real fast in the old head cavity for Gary. And his frantically swaying mouthpiece, which was always out, he never put it in because he's like trying to bark out orders before the snap and process all this stuff. Just really encapsulated the game for me, the type of game that he had. Not in the right place and fully panicked all game for Gary. And just... Un- Go If you don't trust me, go watch him for the first drive, and you'll see what I mean. And that drive culminates with a Tyler Higby touchdown in the red zone. Gary is reading all of this action happening in front of him, right? The, the crack block to his side, the pulling guard away from him, the running back darting away from him. And while he's reading all of this backfield action, Higby has already got leverage with two full strides to the outside. While Gary hasn't even gotten out of his initial stance, he's frozen in time. So... Goff delivers to Higby in the flat. Boom, you're down 7 nothing. It's not even four minutes into the freaking game. Next drive, first play, toss his way. Austin Blythe, the lineman, pulls into space against him. Gary is eventually able to get off the block and probably turns a zero-yard gain into a five-yard gain with a missed tackle. One of the worst tackling linebackers in the league last year, by the way. Same drive on the Woods touch- touchdown. Reverse. He's got no clue. He's Narnia. Not, not all his fault, but another example of him being lost. And look, there are a lot of plays that I could point to here, and I don't want to nitpick, so I'll mention one more big one. Fourth quarter, it's 24-19 after the Eagles claw their way back in. Rams go with play action. Gary completely bites on it. And if you freeze frame it, you can see the exact moment where Gary realizes that he has been done in. Higby flies past him across the formation on a leak concept where he takes a shallow crosser and turns it upfield. Love the design. It's a Shanahan staple, and I know you're familiar with it, Kyle. And it torches Gary for a 28-yard touchdown. Like the, the, the Eagles are paying for pass-ins against LJ Fort, who they cut last year after not finding a role for him. Jim Schwartz's massive influence over the defensive personnel decisions is squarely to blame here. And surprise, surprise, a McVay offense makes a linebacking group look like total space cadets. Props to McVay as well. I was skeptical coming into this season, but that offense is cooking and seems to have taken the necessary steps in their evolutions. What do you think about the the Rams to this point? Do you think they're back back? I think they're the real deal. Yeah. I think McVay is back in his bag. He realized that, now, oh, my offensive line isn't an abysmal mess and I can actually call whatever plays I want to. So uh, the linebackers, they're dealing with a lot. Like there is a lot going on with McVay's offense. Obviously, heavy play action off the zone. And we all know that. It seems like there's more motion. It seems like, especially that game, there is more end around. So you have to deal with 
the receiver and the, the potential threat of the receiver having the ball. There's just so much action going on. And by the time you react to something, there's something else, right, that you have no idea that's coming behind you. So you're you're going in 12 different directions and your head spinning as a linebacker. So I don't want to make excuses for Gary, but man, there's so much going on in that offense. And then when one play works, you have to react to that. And then the other play works, you have to react to that. So now you have zone, end around, play action. You have bootlegs. He's tough. It, that offense is tough to stop. Schwartz said that he made the game plan too simple. And it actually, with the with what the Rams were doing, it made the guys think too much because they they had this one simple thing that they're supposed to do, right? But then there's all this eye candy happening around them that it then put them in a blender. So it'll be interesting to see how Schwartz recovers from that, if at all. Anyway, let's go to the third level of the defense. Uh, another matchup I loved was Washington wide receiver Terry McLaurin, second-year guy, going up against the 10-year vet Patrick Peterson. And we had mentioned it on uh, Bleeding Green Nation, how impressive it was that Darius Slay hemmed up McLaurin in week one because, I mean, we were going to see throughout the season just how hard that's going to be. And he really showed that off in this one. Nine targets, seven catches, 125 yards, third highest yard total of the week. Had a touchdown scamper on a slant that he took to the house. Really dangerous after the catch. His 84 yak yards led the league in the week two slate. And I actually thought his non-targeted reps were some of his best reps. Uh, last year, after Slay played McLaurin, Slay mentioned that it was surprising how fast McLaurin is because he's just so quick. He just gets up on you and eats up. And I think Patrick Peterson had that same shock to his system in this one. And it's not just that he's fast and sudden. It's how he sets these things up. His releases aren't of that of a second-year guy. He attacks these corners in the early phases of his routes. And as you're worried about the three or four times he just zoomed past you with an outside release, He's snapping off to the inside and creating tons of separation. He gets you on your heels, man. And like I mentioned, after the catch, super dynamic. This is a guy that a lot of people fell in love with in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, where he was separating at will. To put on tape what he's done against a, a top corner like Patrick Peterson, even if he's a little bit later and long in the tooth, I mean, you can see why people were so high on him. And it wasn't just Peterson either. He was snapping off Drake or Patrick too. This dude is going to give you fits all year. And while you hate that he's saddled with an inaccurate sugar man like Dwayne Haskins, the film is fun regardless. What, what do you think of McLaurin, man? He's just so dangerous. I think he's awesome. I was so wrong about him coming out. I was arguing <laughs> so adamantly, like, it's the senior bowl. Come on. He wasn't good at Ohio State because I really thought he had plenty of work to do as a route runner at Ohio State. And I was making these videos showing that, hey, he has to do this. He has to do that. And then week one last year, I was like, nope. <laughs> That's all I'm <laughs> I am wrong. But, man, as you said, he does a great job of making every route look the same. And, he, and that is a, such a tough thing to do. And a lot of seven, 10-year vets, they, they still don't do that. And McLaurin makes it look so easy. He gets on your heels. He breaks your cushion very, very quick. And I think that's so tough to simulate. You, have, you can't practice against his speed. Yeah, he ran really fast, but you don't know how fast he is until he gets up on you. And by that time, it's too late. And for him to be able to get out of his breaks – be able to change directions as smoothly as he can. He's just such a fun player to watch. And yeah, hopefully we're going to see a better version of Haskins coming up here, but there's not much, there's not much to criticize when it comes to McLaurin because he can, he can win at every level and that is not easy to do. So hat tip to him. Yeah, I agree, man. Watch the film against him against Slay. Watch the film against him against Peterson and just watch how easily, how sudden he is getting by these guys on these outside releases, man. It's, it's crazy. And I, I got, I got a uh, last question for you, Kyle, kind of off the cuff. Did you see Drew Brees on Monday night, and did he look like he had one foot in the proverbial grave, or did he have two feet 
in the proverbial grave. He looked terrible, man. Yeah, in a, in one of our group chats, somebody asked, "Is Drew Brees dead?" And <laughs> this is the second week in a row, really, because they won big last week. He kind of escaped some of the blame because of that, but I don't think he played well. And it just looks like he's forty. Like, let's be honest, it looks like he's not going to be able to keep this up, keep up the good play moving forward. Yes, his numbers don't look bad. He's, 26 for 38 on the surface, but it just doesn't seem like he is anywhere near the, the Drew Brees that we're used to. And maybe that's the problem. We need to unlearn what we know about Drew Brees and maybe lower our expectations because let me ask you this with how Drew Brees is playing right now, how far can the Saints go? I mean, I had him picked for the one seed, which yeah. I'm definitely going to come off of because, I mean, this has happened to Breeze before, but it happens like three months into the season, right? That's where he typically gets that drop off after a long season. He's older. His body doesn't recover as well. We're seeing it in week one and week two. How much does that limit your offense? A ton, man. And this is a super talented roster, right? Teddy Bridgewater was 5-0 and as a starter with them. So I do still think that the ceiling is pretty decent. I don't think it's the one seed anymore. I think they struggle. And as Tampa Bay gets their crap together, and that was kind of part of my baked into my prediction, like they might be the one seed, but a team that's going to challenge them in the South is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But they're not going to seriously challenge until later when Breeze falls off and the Bucs get their stuff together. Now, does Brady have a fall off in him? Because he doesn't look like a spry chicken, but like he's he's serviceable. They got a ton of weapons. I just I it's going to be a battle to see who can live the longest. These are two guys in the retirement home just trying to outlast each other. <laughs> what I want to say about Breeze here quick. So of those 38 attempts, only one is going went over for 20 yards. So what's going to happen is he's going to run into a team that's going to condense the field. Yes, they're going to take away all that underneath stuff, the three-step Michael Thomas slant special, and they're <laughs> going to make you throw the ball outside the numbers and down the field. And if Breeze cannot do that, they're going to run into some struggles, especially in big games, especially in the playoffs, because it's not going to be he's not going to be able to check down all the time. So that'll be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Watch it, man. Watch it. All right. Thank you for listening to the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode three. Kyle, any last words of encouragement or discouragement for the gentle listeners? No, no, I think we were pretty tough on a lot of the guys this week. So uh, nothing, nothing for me. All right. So make sure you go to uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review or a one-star review and let us know how much we stink. We'll take that all into the consideration and uh, forward it to the International Gibberish Desk and make sure it's dealt with. Uh, thank you for listening to the Palpably Unfair. I do, seriously, thank you for listening, gentle listeners. I really do appreciate the support. We love you here. Make sure you're subscribed to the NFL, uh, the SB Nation NFL podcast feed and checking out all the shows if you haven't before. If you've been around with us since the start, which is brand new, we appreciate you sticking around. I've been Michael Kiss. That's been Kyle Posey. Go dominate and have yourselves a day.